Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. It's time for a pop quiz. No, rest easy. I'm not going to call on anyone at random. I'm not even going to put Vicar on the spot. But just think for a moment and see if you can answer this question in your head. Name the 12 disciples. I'll give you a minute to think about it. It's okay if you use your fingers to keep track. <laughs> Name the 12 disciples. Now I guess that there are some of you who are still counting, some of you still pondering, but if we were to have you write those answers down, there would be some that just about everybody gets. Peter, James, and John probably make everybody's list, along with Judas, because, you know, how do you forget about Judas? And then if I gave you more time, perhaps you'd come up with Thomas, doubting Thomas, Andrew, Simon, Matthew, maybe Bartholomew. But then there are a couple of others that might take you all day and they might never come to your mind. Jude, Philip, James the Lesser. They're harder to remember because we don't know a lot about them. Aside from appearing in the list of the disciples, they are rarely talked about in the Gospels. Now, Philip does show up a few times. He is credited with bringing Nathaniel to meet Jesus, and he is able to talk to Jesus in the Gospel lesson today, and we hear him ask Jesus, show us the Father. And then he's rebuked in Jesus' answer. Then there's James the Lesser. Can you imagine that being the way that you are remembered as the Lesser? We know so little about him that we don't even know why he's called the Lesser. It could be that because he, has, he is shorter than the other James and the disciples, there's James the son of Zebedee, and he could be shorter than him. We guess it's more likely that he's called the Lesser because he doesn't have the stature and notoriety of James, the son of Zebedee. Pretty much all we know about him is, is that he is the son of Alphaeus, and we have no idea who that is. So here are two influential men in history. They're close enough to the Son of God that they are listed in the 12 apostles, and we know almost nothing about them. Kind of hard to imagine that two men tasked with taking the gospel of Jesus out into all the corners of the world, responsible for laying the foundation for what becomes the Christian church, two men who lived under constant threat of persecution because of what they were doing, are largely forgotten to history. If you have an ego, a self-esteem problem, this does not help that problem for you. The idea that you could be this close to the most influential person in history and all that survives in your story is your name. We'll take another pop quiz. 175 years ago last Tuesday, 12 men gathered in Chicago to start the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Can you name the 12 pastors that founded our church body? I'm not even going to give you time for this one. Maybe you'd get the first president of Walther. Beyond that, unless you took a Lutheran history class in college because you went to one of the Concordias, you're probably not going to get much further than that. In fact, pastors don't even have to memorize the names of the first 12. 
pastors. These men represented 14 congregations that stretched from Michigan to Missouri, and they came together in Chicago 175 years ago last Tuesday to join together to create a system that would allow for accountability between congregations, a way to train teachers and pastors, and work together to support mission work among those congregations. Now, these congregations represented different groups of immigrants that had come from Germany, and they came for three primary reasons. One group had come from Germany and settled in Missouri because where they lived, a law had been passed saying that you must break the bread when blessing the elements of communion to show that the body of Christ is not actually present in the bread and wine during the Lord's Supper. Pastors refused to do this and were persecuted for their faith, and so the congregations came to the United States in order to rightly celebrate the Lord's Supper. A second group came because they were being persecuted for not having enough money. In the part of the world that they lived in, it was illegal to marry unless you had a certain financial stability. And young couples wanted to marry. They wanted to follow God's command of being married and starting a family, but it was illegal for them to do so. So rather than just living together in sin, they left their homes, their families, came to the United States so that they could be married and start Christian families and live as God had commanded. And the third group that came and settled in Michigan came because there was a need for missionaries among the Chippewa Indian tribes. According to the historical record given to us, the, the chief of that tribe had asked one of the first Lutheran missionaries to the area to send more teachers to share the truth with his people. And so families gathered together to come and settle a rather rural part of Michigan for the express person purpose of sharing the gospel with the people who were there. They came together and they did these things. History records their names in the local histories of the congregations they started, but if it wouldn't be for those church documents, we'd have no idea who these people are. They, like Philip and James, have their names recorded, but much of the details of who they are and what they did in their life has been forgotten to history. But in the end, this is good. It is a good thing that the details of their lives have largely been forgotten. And the feast of people like Philip and James the Lesser remind us that the purpose of the work of the Christian is not to glorify ourselves, but to proclaim Jesus Christ crucified. And so when we gather to celebrate Philip and St. James, we are reminded that the vast majority of faithful Christians will be forgotten, but that is okay, because the story of the Christian faith is not about you or I, it is about Jesus and how the Holy Spirit uses people to protect and preserve his church and those who follow in their stead. For in between the disciples and the founders of the LCMS and people in the church today, 
There are countless pastors and teachers and musicians and parents and godparents and elders and council members and Sunday school teachers and custodians and altar guild members and volunteers of all kinds who have worked to serve the church. And you do this not for your benefit, but for the benefit of those who need to hear the word of God proclaimed and be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That's what St. Paul is trying to teach us today in the epistle lesson when he writes, So then, you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When Paul writes this, he talks about building the church as if you were building a home. That it is true, there are some parts of the structure that are more significant than others. The cornerstone, or the first part of the foundation that is laid, sets the square for the rest of the structure to be built. The load-bearing walls, they're very important. They're like the disciples and the apostles and those whose names we are remembered. They hold the whole structure up and make sure it will not collapse. But that does not mean that the nails that are used, the boards that make the walls, the flooring, the shingles, and everything else that goes into the building of the home are of no importance. Of course they are. They are incredibly important in making the structure your home, a place where you can reside and rest, a place where you can be protected and fed, a place where you can receive what you need to support your body and life. So it is with the church. Everything about the church is built on Christ and his word. Without him, there is no cornerstone, there is no foundation, there is no way to receive salvation. For as Jesus teaches us today in the gospel lesson, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Without Jesus, the church does not stand. Not only does it not stand, it doesn't exist. Because everything about the Holy Christian Church is actually about Jesus himself. And the salvation that he brings through the forgiveness of sins, one on the cross for you, delivered to you, his people, through the waters of baptism, the distribution of the Lord's Supper, and the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins for you. Without Christ, no one receives salvation. Without Christ, no sins are forgiven. Without Jesus, no one is reconciled to God. And it's on that foundation that the rest of the church is built and grows. Some people will have a larger role to play than others, becoming load-bearing walls or the roof that keeps out the rain, because their time, their situation, their life, calls on them to defend and protect the gospel in ways that are different or more significant than they may have first desired to do. But even their work is never complete unless all the other Christians all the other parts of the church forgotten by history continue to share the gospel and build the household of God. You see, the feast of St. Philip and St. James the Lesser, it is a feast in which we give thanks to God for the work of those two men, but it's really a feast day for all of us. A reminder that what we do at this time and in this place 
is not about who we are and our legacy. It's about who Jesus is and what he does for his people. Philip and James teach us that the household of God is built on the word of God. Jesus is the cornerstone, and it is built by those who hand the gospel down generation to generation. Parents and grandparents who bring the little ones to be baptized and promise to raise them in the faith. That by, built by those who serve lunches to those who are grieving at a funeral, reminding them that God is present in their grief. Built by those who have spent countless years in Sunday school classrooms and in vacation Bible school weeks teaching the gospel to those who need to hear it, telling the story of Jesus over and over and over again to the ones entrusted their care. Built by the people who sing the word of God, who prepare the table for his supper, who maintain his sanctuary, who protect his teaching, and the list goes on and on and on. God calls all of you to take what he has given to you and in turn, give it to others so that they too would know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life that leads to the Father in heaven. So today, we thank God for the work of Philip and James. We also thank God for the work of all of the saints whose names are forgotten to history. For they have joined in that great line of people who have ran forth from the Easter tomb, proclaiming to the world over and over again, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.